Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Fabrication Friday podcast. I'm your host, Joe Fairley, certified prosthetist, 3D printing enthusiast, and owner of Ascent Fabrication. Fabrication Friday is an all-around fun time where I talk about 3D printing applications, conduct interviews with industry leaders, and much more. Come join us every Friday for an informational discussion around the evolution of the additive manufacturing field and how we utilize various digital workflows and 3D printing methods in our daily work at Ascent Fabrication. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fabrication Friday podcast. You're back with Joe Fairley here, your host, um, certified prosthetist, owner of Ascent Fabrication, and overall 3D printing enthusiast. Um, so this week, we're getting right started with our new series. Uh, you might have heard last week, I did a print of the week at the beginning of the podcast episode and a tech tip of the week uh, at the very end of the podcast episode. So if you didn't quite hear that, uh, at the end, definitely go back and take a look at the end of the podcast, um, as well as this one for our tech tip of the week. Um, so this week, we're going to be highlighting um, a Fast Flex, uh, that's our name for it, the Fast Flex Below Knee TPU Flexible Inner Socket, and the Polypropylene Frame. So the Fast Flex here is a uh, three millimeter thick, uh, very lightweight. And if you're in the prosthetics industry, similar to ProFlex material, um, we printed a pr fairly low layer height for this at about 0.4 millimeters. So the feel of the um, socket is pretty smooth. Um, this socket was printed on the Artillery Sidewinder X2. Um, so a $300 printer printing out a very substantially uh, durable uh, prosthetic interface in about five hours and 45 minutes with a 0.6 millimeter nozzle. So fairly, fairly nice results. Um, I I spoke wrong. I think I used a one millimeter nozzle on that, not 0.6, so to get that five hours and 45 minute time. Uh, but the polypropylene frame was printed on the Filament Innovations Kratos. Uh, the Kratos is the little brother to the Icarus. The Icarus is their main um, I'd say flagship printer at this point um, for the prosthetics and orthotics industry. There's a lot more clinics coming around that are utilizing this printer. Um, and this uh, polypropylene frame from uh, the polypropylene itself, itself was from PP Print out of Germany. Uh, this print was done in two hours and one minute. So uh, after just less than eight hours, you have both of these sockets, um, very low cost, lightweight, and dare I say, definitive. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more um, as uh, you know the podcast goes on here, maybe a little bit with Bartosz. Uh, but to introduce Bartosz, so thank you very much for coming on today, Bartosz. Bartosz is the CEO of VBionic. Uh, VBionic in Poland is doing some really, really cool things in the prosthetics industry um, for upper extremity prosthetics. We've worked with them a lot in the past with some custom silicone liners. Um, we've having great results with that too. Um, and, you know, Bartosz has a, a lot of uh, just general 3D printing experience. So we're happy to have him on. So thanks, Bartosz. Hi, Joe. Hello, everyone. I'm happy to be here today and maybe share some uh, thoughts and ideas about 3D printing as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you get your start with 3D printing? Oh, honestly, it was quite a long time ago. I guess like eight years ago or something, just when the technology emerged from the uh, limited and uh, corporate rooms and and, and rep wrap uh, sur surfaced and, uh, and we could start using it. A friend of mine, he had the very first... Uh, the very first commercial printer, uh, Ultimaker Zero or whatever that was, the very first first one, and it was pretty costly at that time. But the first moment I saw a Duplo Lego brick coming out of it, I knew this is something you know I need to have that. And uh, being an engineer, I then the next thought was I'm not going to buy one. I want to build one, of course. <laughs> right. Because buying is simple, but buying 3D printer is not that simple, and assembly also is not that very simple. Anyways, I I, I just wanted to have one on my own. 
and then I, I the, the time there the, there was no uh, obvious solution at that time. I, I went to for a very for a solution that did not work in the end. But I wanted to have a bigger bed, so the bed was big, but I was moving in one direction. Uh, it, there was a there was a project uh, open source. Uh, it was on Kickstarter, honestly, but the files were available. So I printed part of, part, parts on my friend's printer. It was also so cool. You can replicate the, the 3D printer on some other printer. This idea was like mind-blowing at the time. So that was the first time. And I did a lot of mistakes from the very beginning. The first and biggest mistake I did was, uh, for some unknown reason to me, I really tried to start with ABS filaments. And I don't know why, and nobody knows. And th th that was a very big mistake because, you know, ABS is maybe cool, but it's not that popular due to some uh, problems that you may have with the ABS. And I did have a lot of problems, not only with the printer, but also with the filament itself at the very beginning. So it took quite a lot of time. And, uh, well, that was the start. And then I just knew I want to get involved into that, do something, some real objects, something that you can touch, feel, and and be useful in the end. Because printing the Benchy boat is not the you know the 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 top of what you can get out of the three D printer, don't you? So just another uh, so paperweight, another paperweight Benchy, right? <laughs> Yeah, 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 the Benchy competition going here. <laughs> yeah, who can print the best Benchy? Who can print the biggest Benchy? Yeah. Um, uh, for people who don't know, the Benchy is a kind of landmark, um, just very uh, strict test piece, uh, calibration piece that has evolved, um, you know, within the 3D printing, uh, you know, kind of consumer realm where you know, you, you set up your printer and supposedly, you know, the Benchy is the first thing you should print because it has all these overhang angles and it's a fairly intricate print. So you can dial in your cooling right away and, and figure out some issues from the, from the get go. Um, but you mentioned, uh, you know, printing with ABS. I personally have never printed with ABS. Um, I had heard of some of the, you know, the horror stories of printing with ABS. Usually <laughs> it gives off some pretty nasty fumes, right? You know that at that time it was not that obvious that PLA is that better, or or the the, the fight was ongoing. I, I would say it was kind of similarly popular or tested, or it was in the game, uh, and it has some advantages. Uh, in terms, you can send it, for instance, uh, in, in, contrary to to PLA. Okay. As far as I remember well, because I'm not using it for uh, at all, uh, and and cutting it is different. Like like it's more like mm, you know it, it, the feeling feel is different, and a lot of uh, injection molded parts is made of ABS. Mm -hmm. So there is a good reason to to create uh, models from ABS for 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 the durability strength probably. Sure. Uh, but again, uh, printing uh, the smell of it and the uh, bed adhesion, um, it's hygroscopic, so it um, takes a lot of water and, and that's also a problem. Uh, well, you know, I went for it because I've read that it's, uh, you know, more something probably. And if something is more something, then I go for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Everyone started out with PLA and ABS because like you mentioned, you know, ABS was used in and is used in injection molded parts. Um, mm -hmm. I know too that people like ABS because you can vapor smooth it with acetone. Exactly. That's it. And I, and I did that and it works. Uh, you can do it in a jar uh, with a, a vapor of uh, acetone uh, vapor. Yeah. And it really works. It's hard to control it because you know you, you should have a fan inside so that the vapor goes smoothly all around, not too much in one place because it would be too smooth over there or even destroyed. So you lose your um, size uh, precision and and all the, the details. But yeah, for for a uh, for a statue of a dragon, it may do wonders. Right. <laughs> So this initial this initial printer that you were printing with, um, 
the was it the Ultimaker that was made out of wood originally? Yes, yes that was my friend's uh, 3D printer, uh, and it worked and it worked. Yeah. Yeah. And I printed the parts for the other one. It was called Eventor Bot. You you may find okay. it on on, on Wikipedia somewhere. Yeah. It, in the end, this did not survive the time, and this idea is not uh, present anywhere in any other 3D printer at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when we're all getting into 3D printing, the uh, one of the best things to do is to try to rebuild a printer or try to you know take a printer apart in some in the aspects and put it back together. I know that's how I learned quite a bit about you know the inner workings of the printer, um, and you know have a lot of success now rebuilding other printers and and maintenancing them for that reason. Um, like we know, these lower end printers need some maintenance and uh, you know TLC as we continue to print with them. Um, so, you know, with your, that initial printer that you, you know, were printing out on one printer and, and building yourself, um, kind of where, what was that next stage of, you know, did you then buy a printer? Then did you learn from yes, that and build I, another printer? Yes. Yes, I did. In the end, uh, the reason for that was I needed at least three more <laughs> uh, and, 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 and I went for the cheap ones because I, I thought, well, I do have skills. I can adjust them. I can improve them. So let's buy the cheap ones. And I bought a Anet. Uh, I don't know how it's called. There, there was a it was a Chinese uh, version of of Reprap, uh, basically, I guess, or or Prusa maybe, but but no, I think it was a Reprap. It's very popular. These were, and I must say. Sometimes we were, uh, me and my team, we were, we were wondering how is it possible that they still still print well, but these printers did their job. There were some problems, especially with the first layer calibration. We had to sometimes just adjust the NEMA motors manually so that over, uh, during the print in real time, this is not something that should be, you know, it's not <laughs> happening in, in the modern ones. Uh, so, so yes, that was how I, I was, how I was uh, leveling the the bet at that time. But in the end, uh, we we did have a lot of success with them, but with the PLA and some simple materials. Uh, because, well, yes, there was a Bolden extruder there, not the direct one, I think. So, uh, well, uh, these were the the ones that I had later, and at some point I realized that, well. It's not only important to print well, but have, and, and it is something that stays with me. You need to be able to replicate what you do. And it's not about having just one ish, one piece of some model in your hands, but you have to be able to produce five more, 10, and, and then another one, a different one with support, without support, and then still have a, a stable, uh, stable machine to print on it because you lose time and, and, and you become more than an engineer than a creator of the object of, the, of that part, right? So, right. Uh, and we went for Prussia. The, it's from yeah. Czech Republic. It's super close to Poland. Yeah. Uh, they make you know, wonderful printers. Yeah. And they do very stable, reliable printers. They also uh, come from the Reprop community. So they, 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 they know that the, this guy with the hat is very famous and, and he was part of the RepRap community. So he was also growing with the community, contributing to this community. And in the end, uh, giving back, uh, because uh, what I really liked in Prussia as well, they also came from the open source community and, and gave back a lot. Uh, it changed over the years. Now they rather a big company and, and a a commercial corporate one, but uh, but they did give back to the community a lot. They still have this uh, their uh, models uh, store. It's, it, most of the models are free. So 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 yes, and and they produce stable, reliable printers with PLA. You can print a lot uh, with this printer, and we we are very satisfied with what they have. We recently bought the latest one. Okay. Uh, uh, so so. What I can recommend it. Yes, they, they they redesigned a lot in into that, and we did not have a lot of problems with the previous one with this one, but this one seems to be really 
stable and reliable. And again, this is the feature that I search for most because it's not about that you have cookies, but it's that you can do it. If if your company relies on 3D printing, right? And right. this is the core of your company. Right. So, you know, your company and, and, and mine are very, very similar in that respect where, you know, we're both heavily into the prosthetic space. Um, mm. Or so, you know, contract manufacturers where we, you know, take in work orders uh, for uh, practically any 3D printing um, experience, right? So are you, when you were starting out with just those few printers, is that when you started a company or you were still just kind of tinkering with those printers? <laughs> and, and what were you printing? Were you taking orders? No, no, no. Our story is a little bit different. The 3D printing was the medium to uh, to reach the goal because we... Uh, we started as a company that the goal was to create a robotic, robust, dexterous hand. And we could use 3D printing, of course, but we could be do, using CNC or whatever. But 3D printing obviously was needed, required. And at the very beginning, the goal was to create the palm of the hand on them. So we were not involved at all into sockets, uh, 3D scanning. But then we realized that even if we create the hand itself, then we we heavily rely on the existing uh, network of prosthetists, uh, the existing network of uh, well of how it's uh, constructed and how it works. But I also wanted to be able to look forward doing some uh, something more, and we went into the sockets creation and and we had no experience with plaster or whatsoever. Uh, but we did have with uh, a lot of experience with mesh uh, design and 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 we use Rhino uh, a lot, mesh mixer and all other tools that are needed for that. Uh, and and yes, now we are we are doing sockets as well because thanks to that we can sell the palm of the hand because we have the medium the the interface to attach it to the body and that's pretty right. important in this case. Yeah. So that was your first product then getting started with V-Bionic was, was the prosthetic hand? It, it, it was and it, it is still the core of the company. We are we specialize and we are very professional now, I believe, in upper limb prosthetics. It's right. not only the palm of the hand right now. We have uh, different uh, types of... Uh, uh, yeah, do you have one of the tolkas there? Yes, I have a lot of... I told uh, this is this is the prosthesis that, for instance, that that we have. Uh, it consists of the palm of the hand that is detachable from the from the sockets. So this is the silicon globe, also also produced by us. Yeah, and so the the, the interface is ours. Uh, we spend quite a lot of time to to create the ecosystem. I would say that is. Uh, well, now it's independent and there are some advantages about it because we can just, uh, like we talked before, we can deliver it to Syria, for instance, to Ukraine and, and all parts come from our uh, from our workshop and our um, printers. So you have the wrist rotation oh, yeah. and all the joints are, are, can be set. So this is Tolka, this is our basic product. Right. Uh, the glove is silicon one, durable, this is, there is a lot of 3D printing involved right here, for right. instance, and the industry knows it very well, I guess. Uh, this is VarioShore, very popular. VarioShore okay. socket. yeah, very nice. Yeah, so you can uh, create, we can create a few with different offsets for the person so that one day she can use the more uh, firm, it more firmly. Uh, the other way, it can be a little bit more loose. It's enough to exchange it from here. We can give uh, three or four just to exchange it over a day for hygienic reasons. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, for our listeners there, you know, and uh, for people who aren't watching the video here, uh, Bartosz was explaining how their Tolka arm um, has these flexible inner sockets that are interchangeable uh, that can retrofit in when a prosthetic where um, their limb volume changes over the course of a day or over the course of a week or or longer period where we can retrofit thicker um, flexible inner sockets into an existing frame where that person can then continue on to use that prosthesis for a longer period of time. Um, 
the Tolka hand, I, I think, honestly, is very elegant. You know, it's it is quite um, simple in some of its construction, although you, know, you don't see all the inner workings there, but all the different um, joints um, for the for the fingers actually articulate. Right. And that was nice to see that wrist rotation and flexion extension of the wrist as well. Uh, speaking about materials and 3D printing, part of it is made of TPU that you mentioned probably recently, uh, and and we really like the TPU uh, for the for for these parts because uh, Tolka is very flexible indeed, and what it makes it, it when force is applied to this device, uh, it won't break because the force is spread along the along the device. So there is no you can you can really you know do harm you right. won't harm to the throwing it down or or, or doing some uh, using it in an appropriate way uh, and it still survives that uh, and thanks to that we can we can be sure that we can give it to the client and we we have almost no service requests for it like like it just works it's simple right. okay. It has its function. It does what it does, uh, it, but it's reliable. And this is something. This is the feature that we really wanted to get because, you know, it's it's important and it looks pretty well as well because it, you can you can yeah. choose the color of it, uh, and we yeah. even have our own. Uh, right, you can buy the silicone to the yes. um, to the skin tones. Yeah, that's very exactly. nice. And that kind of swatch of different skin tones yeah very nice yeah and with um so how long does it actually take you to go from start to finish of um doing any kind of design for it all the printing assembly until it's okay. a full device the printing the the, the most challenging part is the socket it, it, because when we uh we we 3d scan in this or other way we need to have the 3d scan then our prosthetists prepare the test sockets. Uh, sometimes we send them uh, via courier or post, and sometimes we send them to fabrication centers that can 3D print uh, them somewhere, just like we did recently in Turkey. Mm -hmm. And when the person, when the client says that, well, it fits, it's okay, then we know that we can progress with the Tolka hand itself. And uh, uh, the production of the Tolka hand itself, it's, it is a weak, uh, it's not a it's not a long process because we have everything quite well set and we have some uh, we have uh, six sizes of this hand and also two types the female and male type of uh, of the volume of the palm of the hand uh, but we also uh, have some already well uh, off the shelf and ready for shipping once so we have some stock uh, also for the most common colors etc so. Uh, it, and it's it, the most challenging part is communication with the client, honestly, right. because we, we we just ask them, hey, would you send us a video how it looks on your hand, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm on holidays next week, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so if uh, the perfect client would respond in a perfect way, I think within three to four weeks we could we could deliver the hand wherever, and right. and that's the maximum time. Yeah, I think the uh, one of the big, you know, impactful things that, you know, you mentioned there, too, is being able to send those files over to, yeah. um, you know, a another 3D printer that's in a different location. Right. So you mentioned sending prints to Turkey. Exactly. It's for us. It's it's great that, that a company like yours just just it's it's in, interesting and important in our model and idea because even if we have a client in nearby you we can uh, well in your case you could probably design the socket yourself because sure. so, sure. so that's not the case uh, but for instance in turkey in uh, central america africa probably and elsewhere uh, this could help a lot and and uh, test sockets can be printed simply in PLA some simple 3D printer uh, the good thing is that the socket has to have the correct size but if it's 0.05 millimeter wrong then it's still pretty uh, it still works right it doesn't have to be 
uh, that accurate in this case. Uh, yeah, and, and when we know that the socket fits well, we can progress and the rest of the processes created here in Poland and we deliver the prosthesis uh, via, via courier. There are some countries that operate right. logistically better and worse, sure. uh, but in the end it's possible. So in your in your opinion as well, um, you know I've I've also done some of this um, outreach personally, going down to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and and doing some three D printing in Haiti with the Haitian prosthetists there, going through a training program on how to use the three D printers that we brought down there, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so with some of the issues that we face logistically, um, you know, operating with some of these companies, you know, we have people on the ground who are very enthusiastic and able to operate a printer, see a patient and, you know, be able to fit a device. However, simple logistics sometimes of getting them enough material um, or shipping them a printer. So, you know, yeah. with, with kind of where 3D printing is heading, and um, where we're heading with, uh, you know, the distribution of, of prosthetic devices globally, um, you know, this need is only increasing to um, get to more people in these more desperate, I would say, locations for for this type of, you know, specialized care, mm -hmm. because there's a there's a lack of the specialized individuals to be able to fit these devices anyways. But if we're able to also go in and train them on certain devices like the Tolka. Um, in your opinion, you know, what are some of those barriers that we're gonna have to get through in order to make this fully sustainable in places like Turkey or Syria? You know, can you speak to kind of your, some of your experiences in Syria too? Um, these places are just like you mentioned, unstable. So we need stable solution, the, as stable as possible. So the 3D printer has to be stable. Uh, when we uh, take it out of the box, it should start working. Uh, for uh, it, it's it. Right now, we have uh, quite a lot of printers that work that way, but still, three D printing requires some assistance from you as well. And 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 when the print is not okay, you have to be experienced in what happens here because you see very different and crazy outcomes from the printer and you it's you won't find the solution in the manual because it, well there are some manuals for some cases but in the end your experience is required for that i think we still don't have a printer that you can say that you you give it to a person that has nothing to do with 3d printing is not and doesn't have this engineering approach because and in many cases, it's enough. Your engineering curiosity. Why? Why did that break? Right? Then I'm uh, investigating that. But in, in the case, it should be available and work uh, in a way so that a person that never did that and doesn't care, honestly, because that's the thing. Some for right. some cases, uh, still can can do it just like ordering, uh, you know, uh, uh, some beverage from the uh, from the uh, from the machine or well that's that's a uh, science fiction a little bit but uh, in, in a situation where we could have that in this way so uh, then we could just focus on uh, design uh, on on uh, on um, um, on creating comfortable sockets and just having them out from some kind of machine right. uh, Will that happen? I think yes. Uh, is it happening right now? Not yet for many multiple right. reasons. So it's more like if you as a qualified uh, and certified technician, you, you can set this type of lab uh, in Port-au-Prince or wherever, uh, but it's still, uh, we, we still need to do more because it's simply not profitable to open a clinic there. This is this is not even a bad will of a company, but to set a clinic, you need a lot of money. And if you and for amputations, you would really need a lot of clients or a governmental prog project or program, mm -hmm. so that you could make this clinic sustainable. And if it's not, then there's no pro uh, there's no professional. And in the end, we have uh, like twenty people, but with zero chance to get the prosthesis there. Right. So, right. Uh, and and in a way, we try to to cover this pro problem and, and, and this challenge and and try to 
uh, find a solution for 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 this type of uh, problems as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're we're trying to um, you know start to get into more of that collaboration with other people who are who actually have three D printers in these locations already. Um, so we're we're working with an individual named Taiwo and in, um, in Nigeria. Yeah who yeah, yeah. you may have uh, talked with in the past. And, um, you know, the other day, him and I got on a video call like this, and he showed me um, a super malleolar orthosis SMO that he wanted to 3D print on his artillery sidewinder. Um, because I have the same one here in our lab, you know, I was able to help him with some print settings um, and mm -hmm. make sure that he was going to be printing out a the most durable device that I would otherwise print here on mine. Um, I think that's one of the other, you know, stepping stones to getting towards making this a little bit more sustainable is having that interaction where we know that we have the same printers in place. We have tested them already. We can print them just like, you know, I'm sure you have your um, guidelines for printing the Tolka hand in, in other yeah. places. Right? You can even share the G code not without even the settings, right? If you have exactly. just a printer, you, you you can just send the file and it goes. Exactly. So, so yes, that, there's a, that's a that's a that's an interesting idea and an interesting approach. Um, the more sophisticated the hand is, for instance, uh, the the more problems arise. Uh, so, is it for uh, but if you could design the socket from the 3D scan coming from Nigeria or somewhere, right. and then a person there has the socket from you and just thinks about the interface later on, what type of hand to attach to it, right. that's 70% that's, that's of the problem solved because yeah. you really need to have it firm, firmly and, uh, and comfortable. Uh, and then there's the interface, the the, the gripper, let's say. Uh, mm -hmm. But you can solve 70% uh, of the problem on the way to get the more dexterity in the end uh, in the, this way. So it's it's I think it's very interesting and and a good way to to you know to progress and to investigate and try to to do it simply. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that develops. I know that um, you know you and I had worked on a prosthetic socket that um, was going to be going to Ukraine for a um, for a kind of test fit trial of the polypropylene material for that uh, for oh, the yeah. Ukraine, right? So that was one test of that um, you know that process there too. Um... If if we would create a good pipeline of and of actions and how to a protocol and 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 a set of maybe printers in multiple places that operate the right. same way so that the person doesn't have to be very skilled in this but just know how to operate it like like a TV set or something. Yeah, stop burning the machine. Yes, then we could probably get uh, new value, new ideas, and new uh, new things not available elsewhere. Uh, and well, we we have the examples of this kind of cooperation recently. Just recently, just yesterday, we yeah. saw Syrian kids that were fitted with the prosthesis that we delivered to Syria uh, to a war zone. Meaning that you know, if we can deliver to war zone, then probably we can deliver at anywhere, right? That was the challenge that we tried to um, address and and see solution for that. So. Right. Uh, so it is doable. Uh, let, let's let's progress, right? This is the the yeah. uh, um, this is the goal of engineers, right? So yeah, just to sure. progress and 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 create new things using technology and technical skills and solutions around us. Right. I know we're both very passionate about this space. Um, you know, in the prosthetics and orthotics industry you know, being able to provide some of, you know, your 3D printing and engineering expertise and, you know, my clinical expertise too, into some of these places to help further along that type of care, um, I think is hugely beneficial. And, you know, let's see how that develops, you know, over time. I think we're at a, we've got a pretty good start to it. Yes, we do. I guess we do. there's a lot of need. There's a lot of need in a lot of different places. There are, you know, some organizations who are physically on the ground themselves. Um, you know, we've talked with Ugani 
uh, prosthetics uh, in Kenya in the past, doing some really neat stuff with blender plugins and um, also using artillery, sidewinder printers, and maybe a couple others. Um, so, you know, there's, there's those types of organizations that are on the ground in certain places and organizations like ours that are trying to do things remotely as, as most efficiently as we can, um, while helping to provide that level of training that people would need just to be able to set the printer up and just be able to send them a, a file like a G code where they're, they can't alter anything, right? So, you know, they didn't touch any other print settings to, you know, tweak something or make it better in their mind and something goes wrong. They get a, a rat's nest, a, you know, a uh, just plastic flying everywhere um, and hopefully help to minimize, you know, some of those stipulations around like how durable these devices are um, in areas like this too, right? So definitely has, has come a long way, you know, in my experience um, over the last eight years being involved in part of this space and about the same as yours as well. Um, getting more into like the, the nitty gritty of the 3D printing now, um, so you've used Ultimakers, you've used Prusa, um, you know, what is your favorite printer? Is it one you've built yourself um, yeah. or is it a, a different brand? You know, it, it is Prusa, honestly. It, it, it does what it should. We modified them a little bit to get them a bit higher because we wanted them to be a little bit higher, but still there is a limit of that. Uh, but speaking about height, I just wanted to share some of my latest achievements uh, because I've been building two more printers and one of them, uh, what, check this out. This is going up, still up, still up, still up. That, yeah. is, that is beautiful. This is one uh, layer vase. It's not super perfect yet, but it will be very soon. But it's... Okay. Uh, uh, the total height would be like uh, almost one meter. Wow. Uh, yeah, so so this is, uh, well, and yeah. I did it recently for uh, for um, uh, for the reason that we are not limited by the, by the height. I know there are some sure. uh, printers that do that. This one, this is Delta type of printer, by the way. Okay, Delta. Uh, yeah, so 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 uh, I just wanted to share that. Like, but but the yeah. Prusa is reliable, uh, works well, uh, communicates problems that it has. Uh, it's quite easy to to service if something happens. But also over the time, I uh, at the beginning we used filaments that were cheap for instance PLA's filaments because it seemed that well this is just a plastic it doesn't really matter and over the time uh, right now we are buying a little bit more expensive filaments uh, for the benefit of being uh, having a stable solution that doesn't clog the, the nozzle uh, due to the, the uh, diameter of the filament mm -hmm. uh, and filaments are also important. So the printer is one thing, but filaments you use uh, also uh, in the end make the printer reliable because it's not the printer, it's the filament, right? So right. you also need to have the filaments that are um, uh, constant in the diameter. That's the first thing. Uh, and don't have any dirt inside and, 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 and you know. Uh, so it's a combination of, of the filament as well and the type of material that, that you use and also the print. So yes, Prusa is my favorite one. Uh, and, and the rest one was probably, uh, we have one, uh, well, uh, Endler. We have one Endler. It's it's the, um, the cubic one, the 30 centimeters bed, I guess. Uh, the first layer doesn't print that well, and it's Bowden. I don't like Bowdens too much. Or yeah, I, don't. I like direct drive too, for sure. Yeah, so, Printing so, with so I don't print a lot with that, but but we have it. Yeah. And once I, I created, uh, well, that was my most challenging uh, 3D printer, I guess. I wanted to create a very high temperature one to print with peak. PEEK or uh, or even Altem, uh, uh, and it was all metal, water cooled uh, with the chamber that was heated. That was a challenging thing. I used server case, server box 
as the as the uh, as the main construction of the printer okay. and put an all metal uh, polish design 3d printer inside the fdm1 and uh, well it did print but it was not re repeatable the, it was not um, constant enough in the in the prints sure. and autumn and peak are not the materials that i would recommend for uh, for a person that doesn't want to be frustrated sooner right. <laughs> because maybe stratasys printers uh, or bam Brabus, bambus. Uh, so some printers can print that pretty well, but uh, not mine, and and I don't use it anymore. Yeah. Um, PEK seems to be and Altem a, a good idea, good printers, uh, good materials, uh, light, durable, uh, not flammable, uh, but uh, it's not <laughs> the right. most important feature yeah. here. But you really have to have those, you know, industrial applications for those materials for sure. Yes, in airplanes, especially all the inner inner uh, walls of the of aircrafts are created with uh, with uh, PEK. Okay. Okay. So, so mainly it's for light, not 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 unflammable, and yes, that's the reason. Yeah. So well, yes, but. Um, did you uh, did you recently see that? Um, I think it was the Air Force put a 3d printer in one of their one of their planes and they were printing during flight why i don't know what they were printing or, or for what purpose but uh you know they wanted to be able to show that that they could do it that it was possible i guess they had it strapped down with this kind of you know um the the interwoven you know like luggage straps over the top of it and you see this one guy like looking into the uh, the printer itself. If I could find that, you know, picture, I'll put it posted up here. But, uh, you know, that was just interesting to me that, you know, people are actually wanting to print mid-flight. You know what it was? I think there was, um, it was an application for um, just forearm to hand splints. You know, if it was a fracture splint oh, in okay. like an emergency situation where oh, yes. you know they yes, yes, to print yes, something, I've seen that. I've seen that. Yes, now I now I remember. Yes, yeah, that because, was that you, application. And there was a, I think there was a DARPA probably project where then what they wanted to create was to recreate the parts of some uh, of some machines. Uh, in the field that that in other otherwise would be very difficult to deliver there. So right. you know, this is so, so some tiny part that you would have to wait for a week. Then you have the printer. Yes, and it looked pretty, pretty, yeah, decent. Or uh, yeah, uh, visually, I don't know how about printing, yeah. but really it looked yeah, very military style. So that I mean that idea of being able to print, you know, kind of on demand in that setting, you know, that's printing up in the air in an airplane, but. I guess if we get back to, you know, the application of printing abroad in some of these either war zone or, you know, otherwise low income country. Um, so there's a lot of uh, mobile care that happens in prosthetics right now. Um, a lot in the U.S. where they outfit a a sprinter van uh, into a, you know, uh, the backside of it is a lab uh, has all the grinding machines and tools that you would need. Um, I have had the question once last year, you know, could you put a printer in the back of a van and would it be able to print something quickly enough to be able to, you know, serve that need if you were right there with the patient? So another interesting, interesting thing. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but the uh, the fastest that we could ever really print something like that right now that I know of um, is with the film innovations machines with a 2.5 millimeter nozzle. Um, and, you know, those machines are extremely robust, uh, you know, yeah. and, and couldn't fit into the back of a rider machine. Uh, yet, I might call up Mike Gorski after this and see see if he wants to outfit a rider, a rider van with one, um, you know, but printing still a below the knee socket in, you know, an, an hour to an hour and a half. Um, still, I think in that setting is a little too slow, right? Because if you're in that setting, you kind of want something less than a half hour, right? Well, I had an idea about about having this type of service uh, right at the hospital. Uh, well, 
after the amputation, the person would come back to the doctor and uh, for for check check up, like like if it's all okay. After, of course, you, it can't be right after amputation, but say a few months later, and there could be kind of a box when you just put your limb into and Aston Fabrications got the file and come back the next day uh, to to take the socket out of it. Right, mm-hmm. or, but but I still don't think that it is a it is a solution for a well served communities, well served countries or regions. Uh, but th- there are some other re- uh, reasons for that because Canada, for instance, it's, it's very well uh, well established and a wealthy country, but most of the people live on the on south, right? Mm-hmm. So so you have to you have to travel a lot if you or, or you face this type of uh, issues. And maybe the even it's for for rich countries, uh, where still uh, that would uh, save some traveling time, like in uh, Sweden, for instance, or Norway, from flying from north yeah. north of Norway to Oslo or or, or to Sh- Stockholm. In, in case of Sweden, that would maybe that could be also interesting uh, to to do it this way. But it has to work. It has to fit, and uh, you, I- you know. We we I'm not that confident with the lower limb. I must admit, sure. because different forces are all apl- applied. It works differently. We are not into that, and I'm not. You know, I don't feel self confident enough to, to you know, announce anything about the sure. lower limb, because with upper limb it's different. Mm, uh, anyways, that would be cool. Yeah, I mean, now that I think a little bit more about it, you know, I guess if you if you had the intention that say you were going to a hospital to be able to, you know, go out from your clinic and you did have one of these, you know, vans equipped with all the other traditional prosthetic um, fabrication tools that could otherwise help you make adjustments um, and finish a device. Um, you know, printing something in an hour and a half, if you're there for the whole day, say you set up a, a, a clinic for the day, you're there for eight hours you could have a couple sockets printed and and fit by the end of the day, right? So, you know, we're definitely getting into some of that on the spot care that would be pretty would be pretty interesting if you you know if so. I have a contact at um, the the hospital in Ottawa, the Ottawa Hospital. Um, Pat Labelle, he is a prosthetist that we've been doing some three D printing with. Um, and, you know, they're interested in, in getting some 3D printers implemented within the hospital. To your point in Canada there, if you outfitted a van to drive up to those um, you know, patients instead of those patients having to come down, which it's easier for, you know, those more wealthy people to drive out rather than some of those patients to make that trek and, and drive mm-hmm. into those wealthier cities, you know, that'd be a pretty interesting way to deploy something if you could make it you know efficient and um you know worth the time of everyone mm-hmm. yes yes i i i i agree i totally agree you know the, the us and canada is much bigger than poland in our scenario here locally yeah. and uh, the patient the usually can come to us but we do have some clients that uh, we uh, we served remotely they did not come here and they are pretty happy with what they have Right. Uh, yeah, but I'm still thinking about my my biggest. Uh, I am, you know, because the the market in the uh, countries that are uh, well set and then where the clinics are almost everywhere, it's more about making it more uh, comfortable for 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 the patients than uh, allowing them to have anything uh, to to have something. Uh, I still think that we uh, there is an issue with the countries that don't have that much money to spend on it, so you have to reduce the price. But they are not served at all. Uh, this is the I think this is a, we as a company could try to search for um, to cover this this need that exists mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of challenges, including no finance financial support for that, no 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 funding. For, for these uh, prostheses, but also people who are oh, the, the clients are there, clients, well, the patients. Sure. So, so but it's not profitable to to be there and create cl- clinic because it wouldn't be sustainable. That's 
Uh, that's the area, the remote area where I think the bionic with the upper limb could could fit into. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of that need, you know, again, around, around the world and, you know, being able to deploy these in a more mobile fashion is becoming a little bit more sustainable. So, you know, definitely mm -hmm. interesting to keep up with some of the developments that people are, are able to deploy and, you know, keep collaborating, right? I mean, this space is a still a very young one in the 3D printing industry in general. Um, we're still finding new applications for 3D printing, um, mm -hmm you know, that uh, may not have anything to do with prosthetics or orthotics, but, you know, there are a lot of ways that we can implement it in the, in the P&O field to, you know, just be able to do things differently and from a different approach. Yeah. Um, with, um, with the printing that you're doing, um, you know, you, you showed the vase there. Uh, do you also print other things for people that come to you and ask to print other things? Uh, no, actually we don't because I think there is a lot of other companies that do it great. Uh, we we try to focus on, on prosthetics, uh, but if we, we would like to, I think we would be a good point to reach to because we have a lot of experience. Sure. Uh, we we have some, for instance, I, I took this one because it looks pretty. Oh yeah, <laughs> very nice. Right? Uh, we We received the Daikon files from India just for tests with no uh, comment on what that is and we took uh, we created a 3d model out of the MRI scan that was sent to us in the Daikon uh, files so this is FDM there were supports there you can print it it doesn't look that you know it's not it's it look, it looks okay nice not, yeah what material well, is that hmm? what yeah. material is that it's PLA because it's it's easy to print, but still you can you can have something like this. And the thing that I hope to uh, start uh, soon is to a cooperation with a vet clinic that we have very close to our office, because they could send us. The, it is a academic vet clinic, so they have a lot of uh, patients, okay. and 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 different strange patients like elephants and and others. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so they, they. I know they have some, uh, and they did send me some Dicom files of a cat, for instance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We could just walk uh, a few meter, uh, a few hundred meters, and give them uh, the prints, so that well, when they uh, have the operation and they 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 prepare for that, maybe we could deliver something. The price has to be adjusted to that. So, I, what I think is important, we should have the three D printing technology be ready to be just a regular, normal, stable, reliable thing that you just can. You're not waiting a month for a print, and it's not in the news right. that you that you did a school or something. It's just something that you have, and and you can you know because it would make it useful in the sense that people would say, well, I can do that because they will deliver it in a day or two. So, so I can try to, to do it this way and, and have this, uh, well, this possibility. Right now, still 3D printing sounds like, you know, a, a, a project, right? We, uh, rather than something very, uh, very easily and cheaply. And for the reason of the cost, uh, I did not mention that we are FDM focused company. We are not, we're not using, even though we probably could, uh, we are not using SLA, uh, SLS. Uh, we had a SLA printer, but uh, well, uh, I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, just for the reason of durability. Anyways, I, I believe it works for some cases in our field, not that much. Uh, and for the, uh, I, ha I have some interesting thing I just wanted to show you today because Absolutely. It's, it's going to the client. Uh, this is the final military color Ooh. filament uh, prosthesis for a person nice. who is a, who is a uh, sports shooter. He, he, okay. he is well-skilled uh, and unfortunately he had an accident and he lost both of his hands. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, so so uh, this it locks right. It locks because the okay. the type of uh, gun uh, has different angles. I didn't okay. know that because I'm not into guns too much. But, but it's important yeah. to to have this this possibility. Then we have this very well known type of a uh, 
stripe here that you can lock the gun. Yeah. And well, yes, this is something super cool that you can have only because you can 3D design and 3D print. Otherwise, right. that would not be possible. And I, it's hard to explain how uh, satisfied this guy is because he was a, a shooter and he had this accident. And again, he can shoot with his favorite. Uh, right. gun i don't know what that is honestly but yeah but it makes uh you know this is something very re rewarding this is something i really like about this job that you can work on something that you see uh really makes a difference so yeah that's uh, and the color is cool as well <laughs> absolutely i think again for the uh the people who are just listening into the podcast definitely tune into the youtube version uh, so you can see all these uh, very intricate parts that Vartosh has printed out um, with this upper extremity prosthesis that's been modified uh, in a very cool design to, you know, adapt for this person's, you know, shooting needs. So uh, very, very cool. Uh, I think that's a, it's a wonderful, you know, application for 3D printing because we can be so customized about it. Um you know, and try to give that patient back, you know, everything that they were, they were hoping for. Right. So otherwise, you know, some of these devices might not be as suited for that. Uh, you know, the people have different needs in the end, not all of them require the dexterity back in the sense that they can wave their hand. Some of them like to do some simple tasks now they can't and they want this task back it it doesn't necessarily uh, mean that you have to give the whole hand back because it's super difficult to do that but you can you know you know you can create a custom solution that he can uh, i don't know uh, play a trumpet we we did that as well to hold a trumpet in a hand back again and and play a trumpet mm -hmm. uh, and it makes a difference so so yeah. uh, my vision as a company and a prosthetic devices company is to not not to sell the devices more than bring back their uh well their well, smile or and or something that they really yeah. needed of course the prosthesis, the hand is the medium for us as well, uh, for sales, for income, etc. But if a person needs uh, a prosthesis for playing golf or something, and that's the thing, mm. he will make a uh, the, the uh, adaption for that so so that can do it again. Uh, right. And this is great about design and, and 3D printing and all the materials of the 3D printer sizes and, and different uh, different types of 3D printing that in the end allow us for doing it. And that was not possible just just a few years ago. And this is something right. really exciting and cool about it. Yeah, if it's, if it's just been eight years that we've been in the industry and have uh, progressed this much, you know, what's going to happen in the next eight years? Exactly. You know? with us talking about this type of mobile care in these third world countries or, or otherwise um, in some first world countries, but hard to reach areas, you know, in eight years, we could be doing that every day. Um, you know, that could be a, a, a way of, of the, you know, the pathway that the company could go. So it's, it's, uh, you know, very, we're very fortunate to be, you know, uh, collaborating with you, Bartosz. We've, uh, you know, definitely had some uh, very cool devices made, uh, and, and uh, you know, a lot of the impact of being able to share these designs abroad, you know, I think is very, very powerful. So thank you for that, um, you know, for the past. And we're looking forward to, you know, continuing to help get the Tolka hand uh, recognized here more in the U.S. and, and elsewhere, um, as well as some, you know, of the other awesome devices that you're making there, too. Um, so great work so far. Thank you, Joe. Uh, I'm really happy that we met at some point, but I think we would met anyways. Like this is yeah. something inevitable because we, we just, I think we have the same mindset about what's possible and the same drive to use what's, uh, what's available. So absolutely, yeah. yeah. So with uh, with that, uh, kind of getting toward the end of the podcast here, I wanted to mention our tech tip of the week. Um, the, the tech tip of the week here is focused on actually the, the print of the week a little bit. So we'll have a video here of the first uh, couple layers of this polypropylene uh, preparatory frame, getting into definitive frame, um, being printed on the Filament Innovations Kratos. Um, 
with the actual application of bed adhesion. So this tech tip is focused on how we're printing that first layer of polypropylene. Um, so we are using PP prints, uh, polypro. We personally haven't tested this with any other polypropylene, although I'm sure it would work quite well. Uh, we have two different approaches. The approach that you see here on the Film Innovations Kratos um, has a sheet of build tack, and then we have build tack's polypropylene bond adhesive, a couple layers spread out um, that is applied on a cold bed and then allowed to dry uh, before actually starting the print. We will print the first three layers at 70 degrees Celsius for the bed temperature. Um, and then we'll turn off the bed after that to help minimize the warping of the polypropylene filament. Um, we also print with a very wide brim, at least, um, at least uh, one centimeter up to one and a half centimeters. Um, and if we ever have any actual issues with that, for whatever reason, um, you can always tape over the brim and that will also help minimize some of that bed adhesion. Um, I'm sorry, bed warping or part warping uh, if you have problems with bed adhesion. So that's our tech tip of the week for polypropylene using the build tack um, and polypropylene bond adhesive. We know that works very well. PP Print has also just come out with a brand new um, permanently bonded uh, surface to, to print on. So they have had in the past this rubbery surface, um, you know, polypropylene only bonds with itself. So I can only gather that this rubber has some polypropylene in it. Um, and it was a really nice material to stick to. You didn't need any other adhesives. There was a cleaning solution that every five or 10 prints, if you had some dust on there, you could clean that off and it would make it as new. Um, and you could use that over and over for hundreds of prints if you were printing, um, you know, very consistently on it and not damaging the surface. It had a separate um, adhesive, a two-sided adhesive that would stick down to the bed and then the surface would go onto it. The only problem that we've seen with that is that over, over time, a few prints, because of that warping that happens with polypropylene, it will actually pull the surface up with it. It sticks so well to the surface that it pulls the surface right up from the bed. And I've tried everything to help hold that surface down um, to the bed. But with this feedback, you know, PP Print has come out with this permanently bonded surface. We do have a few of them in stock now, and they're starting to distribute them out to other locations. Um, currently, I believe the dimensions are about 305 by 305 millimeters. Um, I'll have to check that exactly, but it's about that size for specifically the raised 3D um, you know, style printers for their, their purpose. They have a very close collaboration with them. Um, so they made it for that printer first. If you have a printer that you'd like that has some different dimensions that you'd like the surface permanently bonded to, uh, definitely reach out to us and we can help you out with that. Uh, Bartosz, do you have any other, you know, ticks, uh, tips and tricks with printing with polypropylene? Uh, I just want to mention that uh, in our case, uh, making a pulse uh, after the first layers works pretty well, and it's needed so that the wrap, uh, warping, wrapping is, is, is limited. Uh, and I totally agree. And I didn't know about the new uh, shield, so I'll reach you or uh, to to get one because we are printing with PPP, uh, PPP um, uh, polypropylene, and I think it's very interesting material. It's a little bit dif more difficult for printing than, of course, PLA, but uh, it, it has great uh, mechanical um, features and and we it's light. Uh, and we even made some, I would say, laboratory tests uh, on uh, on shin guards that we create yeah. from printing the the the. And, uh, so this is a football shin guard uh, that we did, and we were kicking Perfect. into that uh, and, yeah. and recording with uh, high speed, uh, high frames camera to see how that works. Uh, if somebody's interested, I could share that. And PP uh, polypropylene works uh, well, and it's the best uh, material to go for this uh, solution uh, for us at the moment. So yes, it's absolutely. 
yeah, if you have that video, you know, definitely send it to me. We'll uh, we'll post it here in this this little stint here. Um, I'd like to see how those shin guards do. I think that's a perfect application for the polypropylene. And, um, you know, could you have a scan of the patient's leg? You know, that's an easy yeah. way to do it, right? Or patient or customer in that sense, right? You could make them completely custom. Yes, and we do it for amp football. So footballists that have only one leg and, and still ah. play football. So this is all cool. <laughs> like, Very cool. Yeah, it all, all comes all comes full circle back around to uh, prosthetics in some ways. So <laughs> very nice. Well, um, yeah, thank you very much, much Bartosz for your, um, you know, 3D printing insights today um, in terms of the printers and tinkering and applications and materials. You know, that's all very, uh, very useful for our, our listeners to, to hear about, you know, some of these trials and tribulations of, you know, how do we get started in 3D printing and what do we use it for? Um, you know, and how do we implement it effectively? So um, I appreciate your input and uh, your expertise and, you know, looking forward to working with you more here in the future. Thank you, Joe, and, and, and see you very soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone uh, for tuning into the Fabrication Friday podcast. Um, this is Joe signing out. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye.